and welcome to The Culture Bunker, your pop culture podcast roundup. I'm Sean Pattenden. And I'm Andrew Harrison. This week we are thrilled to be joined by the pride of Leightonston, prince of unclassifiable UK R&B, old mate of Mike The Streets Skinner and podcast guru Merkage Dave. And move over Kanye. Is this the hip-hop release of the year? We listen to Kendrick Lamar's long-awaited concept double album, Mr Morale and the Big Steppers. And beam me up, sissy. Senior couple Sissy Spacek and J.K. Simmons have a portal to another world in their backyard, don't we all, in Amazon sci-fi thriller Night Sky. Will it send us to outer space to find another race or just up the stir lift to the stars? Plus, we hear new albums from ex-Shack Chanteur Michael Head and, in sharp contrast, ex-One Direction popster Harry Styles. All this and more on today's Culture Bunker. Welcome to the Culture Bunker. Let's say hello to our first guest. We are absolutely delighted to have Merkage Dave with us here today. Hello, Dave, or should we call you Merkage? What's happening? Yeah, Dave, Dave's <laughs> cool. Dave, David. That's all blessed. Dave, David. <laughs> That's how you should be known. <laughs> Your album, The City Needs a Hero, is bloody brilliant and it's out next week. If you Thanks. had an elevator pitch for this in a couple of sentences, what is The City Needs a Hero? And do, do we need these heroes? I would say that in, in a party setting, mm-hmm. you never want to be that that person cornering another person, mm-hmm. getting kind of intense about, you know, important subjects. You know, like stuff that you really care about, but maybe it's just not the time, you know, everyone's yeah, trying to have a good time. we've all been there, haven't we, though? Yes, yeah. we and go so deep. I, yeah, <laughs> exactly, often. right? Yeah, and yeah. so I, I stopped myself from being that person mm. by putting it, on record. Does this mean you're really boring at parties, Dave? Yes. People um people think I'm gonna be fun, but I'm not. <laughs> that makes me laugh too much. Don't corner Dave at a party. As an honorary resident of Manchester, where you were for many years, Is this an album all about cities? Explain the track, Please Don't Move to London. It's a trap. Uh, Well, you know, my my body is a city, you Mm -hmm. know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Please Don't Move to London, it's a trap. Okay, it's funny because uh, uh, that was one of the the, the first tunes that came out as a single. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Awful Things featuring Caroline Mm -hmm. Caroline Polacek. It was like a Mm -hmm. double A. And... um, yeah, people were like, "Man, I've just, I've just decided to move to London. I've just, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I just, I just, you know, put a down, yeah. you know, on 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 rent or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, look, I'm not saying don't come here. You know, I, I love London. I, I grew up here. I'm back. But it's yeah. more like just the trip advisor, you know, just the, you know, the yeah. the review. The if honest, you're a bit older, honest, you'd be you'd be writing a song saying, "Please don't move out of London," because that's twenty years back. <laughs> that's what everyone does. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Let's meet our additional guest today. Johnny Davis is a writer about town. He was a longtime Esquire deputy editor. He has now joined the science fiction fashion company Volibac, which makes things like jumpers out of firemen's helmets and underpants out of Kevlar and stuff like that. <laughs> Hello, Johnny. Welcome back to the Culture Bunker. What on earth is going on at the forefront of exciting clothes for the future? 
Hello, Andrew. Thank you very much for Fanshawn and, and Dave. Thank you very much for ha- having us back on. Um, so, so Volleyback is a is a clothing uh, startup, uh, uh, quite a small company at the moment with 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 some big ambitions, and it's done all sorts of interesting things so far. It's made jackets for Mars and hoodies, indestructible <laughs> hoodies and hundred year trousers. And at the moment, it's on a its latest its latest release is um, a, uh, a a t shirt using. A new type of black because basically black mm-hmm. everything in from from black ink in, in pens to the black on your mobile phones to black black on bits of furniture is all out the ground. That's carbon black, very bad for the planet. So the idea is that we're on the hunt for a new black, and so the latest release is a hemp hemp t shirt made of hemp, and then it's printed <laughs> screen printed with algae, black algae. Much so the algae is the new black the future. Is this a, is this an edible t shirt? Should you stay away from swans and things like that? <laughs> I think you should always stare from swans, Andrew. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. Ne- yes. Naked, it's very even worse. Naked. Careful now, that swan could break your arm. I want you. You mentioned hundred year trousers. <laughs> now, I mean, generally we wash them because yes. otherwise they start walking around on their own. What are these hundred year trousers of which you speak? So it's a hundred year range, in fact. Uh, so there's there's a whole whole bunch of stuff which is designed to outlive you. So it's basically super tough, uh, mm-hmm. made with Kevlar. You mentioned mentioned <laughs> Kevlar underpants. That's not um, looking ahead. I think uh, on the on the on the wall chart we have in the office, there are un- there oh. are underpants on there for for, for uh, maybe eighteen months time, uh, but we haven't done that yet. But um, yes, but so hundred years it just lasts forever. Fireproof, windproof, rainproof, uh, incredibly tough trousers, but also super comfy with lots of pockets and zips. Well, the, we, we, uh, the, the listeners may be able to tell we are unfortunately yeah. having to record remotely, uh, but I did see uh, Johnny um, earlier in his 23 pockets <laughs> uh, high performance uh, apocalypse jacket. Is this correct? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yes. So basically, the idea is that, as you know, we're all um, the doomsday clock at the moment is now eleven seconds to midnight. So, you know, anything could happen. Possibly, uh, you know, flood, fire, pestilence, <laughs> zombies as well. So, they built uh, the apocalypse jacket, which is a uh, black lava resistant, corrosion resistant, chemical resistant, uh, <laughs> kind of massive, almost Liam Gallagher esque, I might say, a kind of Parker thing that comes over your head. Um, and contains 23 pockets all around the inside. So the idea is you take your, all your stuff with you, everything you need when you're on the run, fleeing from your Surely. from your city or your home, whatever. Stuff your pockets with everything, passport, put important mm-hmm. license, and then off you go. Zombies can't touch you. Astonishing. Have you got big pockets? So is there a women's collection, or is it a case of ain't no volleyback girl? <laughs> well, there's that's a question. <laughs> it's a question that we get asked a lot, and that's uh, it's, I, I say, watch this space. There's there's, there's certainly talk about. <laughs> Uh, amazing. A quick reminder, you can get The Culture Bunker and all our shows a day early and without adverts when you support us on Patreon. You'll be helping us keep going and you'll get all manner of exciting merchandise too. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. Let's start off with music. The biggest release of the past week is undoubtedly Kendrick Lamar's Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, released last weekend after much teasing. It's a vast double album, whatever album means these days. It's mm. his fifth album, 73 minutes long, and still feels overstuffed with ideas. Rapper is too small a word for what he does these days. His 2015 album, To Pimp a Butterfly, was universally acclaimed for its merciless self-excavation. His 2017 album, Damn, won a Pulitzer Prize. I didn't even know there was a Pulitzer Prize in music. But with all black music now politicised, often for what as much as you know for what it is as what it says lamar kind of bears a burden of having to speak for all african-americans everywhere and a few more people besides ordinarily we play a track to introduce you but clearing tunes from these big ticket us guys is a non-starter so we will drop the track die hard on the playlist right what did we think sean are you a fan I'm an enormous Kendrick Lamar fan. Um, I absolutely uh, worship at the altar of Kendrick. And um, I have been hammering this 
all week in an excited and and almost overwhelmed state because there is so much to it and i think is his his masterpiece i think it's a work of genius I mean, the first thing we hear is, I've been going through something yes. 1,855 days, and then he proceeds to demonstrate And he tells us to be afraid. Well. Yes. <laughs> be afraid. He, uh, think, wow. Know, <laughs> we hear everything that he's been going through. He's relentlessly mm. personal. Me and my dysfunction, my lust addiction. I, I, how, you know, what what are you personally getting out of this, you know, tearing open of the ribcage? Rib well, as you say, it starts with a track called "United in Grief," and it is about um, this enormous catharsis. This is, you know, and he presents it. Say the first few words are, "This is what it's going to be." So you know, this is going to be heavy. There is no other signposting, but this is going to be a big, big deal. And it kind of does make Kanye look a bit like Kylie, not pedestrian, <laughs> but Monogan in that when he just goes, "Yeah, I'm really upset, and my cat's just been sick." You know, this is really big stuff. He talks about being unfaithful. He talks about. Being being on PC, he talks about God, he talks about all his friends and family. It's it's really hard going, but it's the honesty that just is jaw-dropping every single time. And there is so much to it, as we're saying, and I'm sure everyone's going to say this thing. It is, as I say, I've been listening to every day all week, and I am still hearing new things in it musically and lyrically. I think it is astonishing. It's hard to unpick in a way, because maybe that part of the problem is we shouldn't unpick it. It's a body of work. I mean, it is five years' work in a whole album, but it is absolutely astonishing. You've just made me think about uh, an as-yet-unseen pop star called Kanye Minogue, but never mind that. Merkich <laughs> <laughs> Dave. Yes. I mean, you're an artist who's done his own fair share of hard looks in the mirror. Where, where are you on Kendrick Lamar and, and this record in particular? I mean, man, I've been... Kendrick since uh, Section 80, uh, Good Kid, uh, To Pimp a Butterfly. To Pimp a Butterfly is my favourite Mm. album of, of the century uh, mm. then then you know you, you, get, you get that stadium moment with damn and i think this man is like i think the, I, I, the first time i listened to it i just sat and i was just so thankful for the message like there's stuff that has not been covered in popular culture let alone music that he's covering and and he's just done it in a way it's one of those records you kind of got to listen to the whole mm. thing Mm. I, I, I haven't been able to kind of like dip in and out of it or I don't even want anyone to talk to me when I'm <laughs> where, like, when I miss I, like, like I don't want I don't want to be doing anything it's more like you're taking it in like it's a podcast or mm. do you know what I mean it's like mm. you know uh, the second half of the record especially is just like when he starts touching on you know his you know his aunt transitioning yeah, there's a track called "Is It the Anti Diaries," yeah. and it's like yeah. members of his family who have who have been through the trans experience, and he's kind of, you know, kind of uh, thrashing himself for his own attitudes and the way that he had to change. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, just like like positioning it from the point of ignorance and allowing people who may be ignorant themselves to kind of like empathize and understand another mm -hmm. position. I think that's Kendrick's. It's his greatest strength, but I think it's the thing that tortures him the most is his empathy. Um, his mm. ability to see things from different perspectives and w wanting to drag people into that position himself. But it's, yes. 
Markage, Dave, did you see that Heart Part 5 video on YouTube when he oh, dropped no. it a few days before that? I mean, that's the empathy thing, isn't it, writ large? Because it's a deep fake and it's him. Yeah. It, he's turning into these really, really controversial black figures. But it's, again, you're, it's the mouth is on the floor, the jaw-dropping nature. Yeah, I mean, when he turned into... Uh, um, OJ, the, yeah. at first I was like, whoa. Yeah. You but, can't do that. You can't do that. Did you think, of course you can. Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> Kendrick. Yeah, yeah. It was, mm. it was, it was incredible. And, and, and uh, finishing as Nipsey Hussle. And mm. uh, it almost feels like he's speaking as Nipsey Hussle. I mean, and, and the heart, the heart series doesn't end up on any of his albums. That's just yeah. a separate yeah. thing. But I mean, you knew you were in for something after mm. you, after you got that, you know? Dave, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you mentioned empathy and I'm like, I'm the middle-aged white guy from the north of England and like Kendrick's experiences and mine are pretty far apart. And this, you know, hip hop has always done this, but I think this has done it in a new and an even more powerful way. To the likes of me, it brings home what it's like to be on the wrong end of racism, not just, you know, in yourself, but in your family history, in your community history, that how it shapes everything and how that comes out in anger to yourself to your friends and your family, to the people around you. I mean, that's how I took it. But, I mean, obviously, your experience is going to be different. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, that was another thing that I was so thankful for is this, like, the unpacking of generational trauma that goes back mm. so far that you... You know, I'm, it's something that I'm just working out now, you know, like, stuff that happened during, like, slavery and colonialism that's still affecting people to this day. Mm. Uh, you know, like, he talks about know uh abuse um and how like his mum wouldn't believe him that he was wasn't abused because she was abused and that had that you know that abuse kind of and 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 you know there's there's this bit where he says when you see these rappers uh these young guys and they're kind of like beefing with each other and doing mad uh stuff on the internet you have to understand that these are like abused people a lot of them and you never, you know, you never think about that. You might be like, "What's that guy doing that for?" Like that doesn't make any sense. But when he, when he, again, he just, he just kind of reframes things in a way mm -hmm. that makes you go, "Wow!" And you know, the generational trauma, how it affects the relationship between black men and women. I mean. Well, we've got to talk about that track. We yeah. cry together, yeah. haven't we? Which mm -hmm. is him and the actor Taylor Page playing a couple having the worst domestic you've ever heard <laughs> in your life. And there's long stretches of this track are just a fuck you, no fuck you, back and forth. It's incredibly raw, but it actually sometimes goes from funny to horrific to full of pathos to, mm. you know, bizarre and ironic. I mean, what did we think of that? Well, that's the empathy thing there is because it's a dialogue and usually you hear it from one person's point of view when they write a song like that. It's, it's, yeah. it's, I think it's really unusual that it's theatricalised where you understand both people. I just think that's incredible. Yeah. It? And I, say, I think that's Kendrick's empathy, isn't it? It is amazing. Dave, we've sort of talked about this uh, uh, beforehand and you mentioned that you think this might be the hit single somehow. <laughs> yeah, I, I really think by making the least commercial song. Mm. Like I, the first time I heard it, I was like, are you being serious? It was just, mm. it just blew my mind. I was like, are you being serious? And then it, 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 it it's like, that is going to, it's the record that everyone's talking about off the album. It's going to end up all over TikTok for sure. You can imagine kids like miming to that. Like you can see it, like it, it mm. but it's like, it's like a play. Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, I forget the, the lady's name who, who's opposite. Uh, um, it's Taylor Page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, she she's an actor 
So mm-hmm. it's like it, you're you're literally listening to like a play, and man, I mean, and and like you say, like there's the elements of like really this like deep kind of like generational clashes that go from when like you know I've seen like documentaries about this stuff how you know, especially with African-American and Caribbean relationships, like between men and women, there were like hundreds of years where they couldn't have typical relationships, Mm. you know? So it's like, you can hear that, but then there's like these funny moments where she's saying, she blames him for, you know, Weinstein and R. Kelly. And he's like, no, but you should still listen to his music. And it's just like, (laughs) those lighter (laughs) moments and loving moments. It's, man, I've just never like, this is what you hope for. I mean, like when I write, I, I want to touch on things which I think like just to solve problems. I think, I think for me, I'm never trying to sit in the studio and just like come up with like uh, uh, some something catchy. I'm always trying to like like solve a problem that's mm. either mm. in my head or something that I see. And I think he's just done that on a level that like, man, I'm just so inspired. I'm not ready to make my <laughs> next next one. You know? Yay! <laughs> Johnny Johnny Davis, what did you think? I think it's it's really interesting you're talking about that track. I never I never thought about what Dave says. I'm sure that's completely right that it's going to become this sort of uh, cult thing, isn't it? I, I, I mean, it's elevating swearing to a, <laughs> to, a, to, a to an art, isn't it? I think it was it was the Guardian that said it's it's compared to the Pete, that Pete and Dud famous swearing. I'm thinking uh, exactly that. Just then, yeah. <laughs> when when I was at school, that was just became like the the. the uh, I mean, it's like, God, it's about, you know, 100 years old now, but it became a completely kind of cult thing because it was so sweary. But what I think is great about that thing is it's like, because it's, the acting thing, maybe that's, it makes sense with that, with, with Taylor Page, but it sounds improvised, right? And it, it sounds like it's mm. they're playing out, mm. but, it, but it's, it can't, because it's all on the beat. It's all, yeah. it's so tight. It's, it's an amazing thing. I tell you what, you're talking about whether it's going to be big on kid, TikTok for the kids. It's not It's not big with my six-year-old because it, it came on the kitchen and there was a bit of, um. I put them playing down in the kitchen. It's a bit of effing and Jeff, but I'm going to get away with this until that track came on and the six-year-old pipes up and says, Dad, Dad, this is not, come on. But the whole album, the whole album, it's just, it's one of those, not very often do you get a, a record, you put a record on and think, okay, I just don't know where this is coming from because you can normally hear influences or it's a bit like mm. that or it's that times that whatever but it's such a completely unique work mm. of art that is also dealing with all incredibly difficult things like dave, dave says stuff that's not even been talked about anywhere apart you know little, mm. let, let alone music um and yeah it's super accessible like the tunes are fantastic the rapping is like uh you know t- t- tremendous and astonishing and double time rapping yeah there's yeah. ideas like bursting out of every single thing and you know it, it's just like a it's it's you just sit there with your mouth agape. It's, it's so just, oh my rich, God, isn't you, it? you know, you deserve yeah, you just deserve every single accolade you, you get. You are ahead of everyone else. It's amazing. <laughs> it did remind me of one thing, although it's not the same. I'm thinking it's coming from the same place as Trouble Man, um, Marvin Gaye, which is soundtrack mm. to a film. But it's it's about being really vulnerable, and it's so hard to be vulnerable, especially when everyone's going, "I'm so vulnerable." Look at me. He is. Ri- th- this is really ripped from him. You can really yeah. feel that. Um, and we haven't mentioned Mother I Sober, the um, oh, the man. track with Beth Gibbons, which is just a- mm. another thing. If it just took my breath away, the whole we thing. Also- I hadn't heard any heard anything like that before. We also haven't mentioned the track Worldwide Steppers, which he he puts himself in the most astonishingly kind of unsympathetic context. He's like, Mm. describes how he was was basically having sex with white women as revenge on Mm. white Mm. women and white people in general. And you kind of think, 
did you really say that? Is that, can you say that? But then you have to remember that like he has chosen to present himself like that. And the entire track is a discussion of why he, he felt that way and how, how he feels now about what he did. And none of it is flattering to himself. None of it is like, I, you know, I am this wonderful guy. The entire thing mm. is him dissecting himself as, for himself. That's because it's truthful and the tr truth is not sanitized. And that's why it's so yeah. astonishing because it's truthful and it's honest. And most people put that on. Dave, you're saying, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be truthful and sound. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the first half of the album for me is the toxic half. And then the second half is the redemptive, yeah. you know, and it's like a journey from yeah, I think you're like right. pure like yeah. guilt, rage, yeah. pain towards like solution. Mm. And, and, and also like, like taking off the shackles of the, the, you know, as as a fan of Kendrick, you've heard. He, I mean, he he's he doesn't have like a messiah complex, but he has definitely like he wants to save everyone, and he's mm. and he realizes at the end of the album, like I can't. That that's that's not going to work. It's actually going to make things yeah. worse. I need to kind of take a step he needs back. To save himself, doesn't yeah. he? I think I think the line is sorry I didn't save the world. I think we can forgive him. <laughs> you just got an enormous brain, hasn't it? You put on, when you put. I really recommend having the Spotify, like putting having the lyrics option on it, so it just kind of scrolls up while it's playing. So yeah. adds an, an, another dimension to it. And you just think, oh man, you are you, you are like a proper brain. You're mm. you're an incredibly mm. clever band. It's a de definitely a pause button album because I kept having to go. Hang on, what did you say? Did you really <laughs> say that? You certainly get a lot of bang for your buck. Well, it, it's fair to say then that we are all in rapturous um, <laughs> favour of this record, are we not? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Release well done, one of the releases of the year, maybe release of the year. There you awesome. go. Mm, apart from Dave's. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've got a UK crowd. He can have the, the US one. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Now, more tunes. Every week, we ask our guests to bring in a current favourite track of theirs, an editor's recommendation, if you will. Johnny Davis, what's yours and why do you love it? So this is a not, it's not a new track, but it's uh, the song All That. Uh, by Sparks, which uh, I, I wasn't familiar with until I saw Edgar Wright's documentary, which came out last year. And what I love about it is it makes it's it's, it's super makes super emotional. <laughs> really makes me uh, uh, well up. And it's a I suppose the the substance of it is it's kind of a thank you to a partner. Um, one might assume that it's uh, Ron uh, Mail <laughs> who writes the, the words and the lyrics to, to Russell, um, and perhaps a sort of almost looking to the end of your life type thing. Um, and there's just what's great about it is, it's, it's, as typical of Sparks' writing, is that it's incredibly moving and there's one joke in it. And if there's any more than one joke in it, it'll tip over into being <laughs> silly. And then the joke is <laughs> it says, uh, You ignore my gaping flaws, and I see you and I'm in awe. And look outside, it's very nearly dawn. I can't believe my luck in meeting you. Hey, help me out. I can't find my left shoe. That's the one guy. <laughs> That's true it's love and respect. Sublime. There. Sublime. <laughs> Well, uh, it is. I mean, you'll get no complaints from me about ever putting sparks on this show. I do love this tune as well. We're going to add it to our rolling playlist. Links are in the show notes and also play a little bit here. Here we go. This is Sparks with all that.
Our guest today is Merkage Dave, down-tempo dance floor hero, as the face calls him. When Mike Skinner broke up the streets in 2011, he and Dave started running Tonga, a club night in Manchester that turned into a European tour with a lot of balloons involved. Then Dave jacked it in to make his first album, Merkage Dave Changed My Life, <laughs> and hone his own mix of acoustic pop, soulful UK R&B, and right commentary on real life. Now he's about to release The City Needs a Hero, his second album, full of tracks with beautiful melodies concealing sharp edges, and at least one song with good advice in it as we have noted please don't move to london it's a trap here's a snippet from the album this is an anthem for blazing youth called us lot and everybody gets off if you like it or not it's us lot that you've got remember remember it's us lot that you've got remember remember it's us lot that you've got Dave, I've, I've tried to describe your stuff, but it, it is impossible. It's like one-man acoustic tunes with compassionate vocals and gospel and hip-hop and rave textures, but not played at rave speeds. How do you describe what you do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I'm still trying to work out. I think the closest that we've gotten is um, my friend. He's a, he's a, an artist from France called Oral Sand. He, we were, we were talking on the phone and he was like, man, I like your stuff. I'm, I'm trying to introduce it to people, but I don't know how to like describe it. When I, and he said the closest, he, he, he said he, he called, he tells people that it's underground pop, <laughs> which mm-hmm. like, I'm, that's the closest. I, I think that like, really, you know, when you talk about that, like kind of combination of like, like what, the way you just described it was great. You know, that's the, the, the combination of influences. And I guess you would just call it pop, but I'm, I'm not white and 19. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mature guy pop, yeah? Yeah, I mean, but like, you know, like David Bowie was, was pop or Prince, yeah. you know, like it's, you know, and I'm I'm not comparing myself to those artists, but it's just more like, I think I kind of came through in an era where like pop was seen as a, uh, it kind of got conflated with commercial and mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of, yeah, I mean, for me, it's 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 a pop record, but it's just not a commercial record. Mm. How did you come to this sound? You know, what were we into as a kid? I mean, a lot of soul music in the house. Uh, discovered pirate radio, um, and and by accident, you know, just from like going through the dial and just oh, what's this? And then yeah. obviously, fell in love with UK garage. Uh, then when I when I headed to Manchester, I discovered a lot of you know. When I was younger, I wasn't really into guitar music, but now. But but then when I, when I went to Manchester, it was just like that kind of opened up a whole other uh, space with me and and just kind of like really digging into like a different type of songwriting. Um, and then like obviously I ran clubs for, for for club nights for years, so that you know you, you can hear that and I've, you know DJing and stuff, so you can hear that bit as well. And I guess like that is like the composite of 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 the sound that you get. You are known as a lifelong raver. Is it weird to love club bangers, but kind of be drawn to making more reflective tracks on the acoustic guitar, the instrument we never hear in the club? Am I known as a as a what do you say a, a long a, a lifelong raver? According to Andrew, <laughs> I didn't know I had that rep, mate. I think, do you know what? It's, it's funny. It's funny because when people come to London, they're always like, "Dave, I'm in London." <laughs> where where am I going? Where are we going? I said, bro, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I mean, I, I would actually love to have a club banger. I feel like, and I feel like 
every, I, I can't speak for every single musician or songwriter, but I feel like I would love to have it, but I wouldn't have it at the expense of the message. I think that's the hard thing, is it, you know, for me, I guess, um, what we're looking at, we're looking at like um, a record like uh, Talking Heads, uh, Once in a Lifetime, or um, Hot Chip. Um, mm. over and over or want to be starting something you know like um a, a, a record that is like um it's like a it's a it's a dance floor record that has a message and i think mm. i think that's where i would I, and i guess like i've I, on on this album i've come close and there's some moments where it's like yeah like it's you can you can but I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna for me songwriting is all about like i said before it's all about like fixing something in your head mm-hmm. you know to yeah. stop you from being that intense mm-hmm. you know <laughs> intense yeah. character at, at, at the party so mm-hmm. it's like as long as i can always satisfy that then i'll you know i'll, I'll, I'll take it there for definite the world is changing some don't like it. it is actually quite a housey tune but the, it's a very poignant lyric are, are you the kind of guy who's like in the club in the corner maybe like reflecting a little bit sort of staring to the middle distance kind of thing um, I think I think that I'm like I'm hypersensitive, so I pick up on like if I'm in a club, I can see uh, that person's upset, that person's a bit mm. insecure, that they these two are going to have a fight in half an hour. Like, do you know what I mean? I can see all, <laughs> yeah. I can see all of that stuff, and, and you know, I I traditionally know when to leave. Like, any time mm. something mad has ever happened in a club, I've left before it happens oh, you know what I mean it's wise, like yeah. I don't know if it's wisdom I think it's just instinct but yeah. it's just like I'm just like hypersensitive in general like and like uh, able to kind of like observe um, and so like yeah like I'm having a good time but I'm always like kind of my like laterally kind of taking things in you know how did you meet Mike Skinner and end up doing clubs with him just by just stalking him really <laughs> you know just um someone put me in touch with his manager um mm-hmm. who i think is a mutual friend of ours tim vegan yeah the podcast our guy and um yeah, yeah but you know and i, I was kind of like man like you know I, I was trying to connect but you know it didn't didn't happen at that point but then a few years later mike came to manchester um to when he started djing and um he uh I got booked to host that night and he was just showing me a lot of love, bigging me up to the crowd that night. And this kind of went from there. We stayed in touch a bit and uh, I did like, it was like, yeah, because I, I had like a collective called Murkish Cartel and like we did a remix um, of, um, he, he was doing a thing called the DOT at the time. So we did a remix for that. And then like, we were hanging out a bit more and then filming some stuff and then, he came. He he seen he seen my club night, the Murkis Club, and he was like, "Wow!" And then that's how we we kind of Tonga was basically the Murkis Club meets Mike Skinner, you know, and, mm. and that that was a great run in London. And then you know now we just send each other memes mainly. <laughs> <laughs> now I've heard that people assume that be, because you're black British, they refer yeah. to you as a rapper or yeah. you know grime artist Murkage Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you hear the tunes, you're like, "This is not what we're talking about. This is not. This is this has got hip hop bits in it, but he's not a rapper, and he's certainly not a grime artist." Yeah. Is how do you feel about that? The fact that people make an immediate assumption. I mean, it's just it is what it is, man. I think I think maybe it's and it, you know listening to. Uh, 
you know, you guys, even the way you're speaking about Kendrick Lamar, it's just a different level, but there's people that kind of like are commenting and talking about music that probably shouldn't be. If you think I'm a rapper, <laughs> if you think I'm, I'm, I'm a grand, then you probably shouldn't be a journalist, like a music journalist <laughs> in 2022, do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, we've just started um, putting... Marcus Dave is not a grime artist or rapper at the at the top of the press release, and that <laughs> that has seemed to to fix it. I might take it back off and just yeah. see what, <laughs> and see what happens. Know, like, yeah, see yeah, what happens. Just see yeah. It as an experiment, see what happens. I like what you say though. Yeah. Underground pop, I think that's a really great. I mean, you know, it's all encompassing, but it actually is what you're doing. You are making pop songs. Yeah, man. Yeah. We're going to have another track from the album, This Is He Needs a Hero, uh, which also opens with a bit of good advice. Do not read the comments. <laughs> Life, words to live by there. This tune is World I Want to Live In. Tell us about it, Dave. I mean, yeah, do not read the comments. I mean, I, I still do, but like, yeah. I'm, only, I'm only ever a couple of clicks away from seeing some horrible shit about like black people or... It, but then the funny thing is, is like, you, you, you know, I clicked on... Um, I seen Ian Wright. He, he uh, reshared something about the uh, the Gay Gooners group, and then you yep. go in the comments, and it's the same guys saying the same shit, kind of shit about that. And I was like, okay, like so these lot are just going around, and anything they're just saying, it you know these burner accounts, they just they just attack mm. stuff that is like if they think you know if they're threatened by it or whatever, they just attack it. And so it was just like, how can I? There's two things. It's just like I want to examine. I want to kind of examine that kind of paranoia that social media gives you, especially mm, when you're like mm. like a member of some kind of um, like a, a, what's the word, like a disenfranchised group or whatever. But mm-hmm. also just like to try and encourage empathy between the groups, because you know, I, I, you know, I've got I've got friends. I've got black friends that are homophobic, or I know like white girls that are feminists, but think, oh, like racism is just a bit of a too much of a fuss and it's just like hang on a minute like put yourself in each other's position Mm. you know so that was it was kind of like trying to like find a way to kind of like illustrate I know it's kind of like a it's a bit of a cheesy idea but just kind of like trying to illustrate how you know show 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 each other the other side you know well, both tracks are on the playlist, Uzlot and World I Want to Live In. And because Dave's a good egg, he's mm-hmm. letting us play a good chunk of World I Want to Live In rather than the usual 30 seconds. So basically, big up, Merkage Dave. Do not read the comments. Are these the people that I sit on the buses with? Crack a window, man, I need some air. It's hot on the upper deck, doesn't it? I look down on the street, see strangers Are they behind these accounts with no faces? All just walking around or doing coffees They see me living my life and want to stop me But if I come as I am, will you accept that? If you arrive broken, will I be blessed with that? Cause my pain is different from your pain. But we know the pain exists. We've all been through different things. I know your 
tired of the tired of the fight What if I decide to fight with you? That's the world I want to live in Let's have a bit of TV, shall we? What's at the bottom of your garden? A busted wheelbarrow, bins, a dead fox, or perhaps a portal to another world? That is what the legend that is Sissy Spacek and her husband J.K. Simmons, who you'll recognise as J. Jonah Jameson from the Spider-Man movies, have at their backyard in Amazon Prime's new sci-fi series, Night Sky. Does science fiction work in the context of age, loss, regret and confusion? It certainly works for me. Here's a taster. I get it's a heck of a view. Oh, it's more than that. Maybe it's time we finally tell somebody else. Hey, Grandpa. I think you two should consider moving out of the house. That's what you're worried about? One of your neighbors saw you pushing Nana around in the middle of the night. But I think they're hiding something in that shed. There's a reason. We were the ones who found this. This is our riddle to solve. Merkage Dave, are you a science fiction head and what did you make of Night Sky? I am, mate. Well, I, I, am I a science fiction head? I'm, I'm a fan. I'm mm-hmm. a fan. And um, I like this because it's like, you know, the geezer from Juno. Um, J.K. Simmons. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Just, um, you know, I was like, that's my guy. And like, the, you know, they're, I don't know, there's something, it's a bit like that device in like a horror movie where you, where you have um, a kid and they're, you know, so it's like your brain goes, oh, you, know, you see these these two, these people are like nearing the end of their life and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're considering their mortality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, they seem kind of vulnerable, but there's this kind of like love between the two of them and they're like very kind of like, you know they're in their they're in their own world they're in their own bubble with each other you know like they they love each other deeply but then there's this secret there's this yeah there's something there you know and the portal to another world is kind of it's quite symbolic in the sense that like the, um, the sissy spacer character is very drawn to it to the extent that she wants to go further through the portal she she wants to open the door onto mm. the surface of this mm. other world that they're on in a way that would definitely risk her death whereas jk simmons has almost become jaded with the idea of being transported billions of light years to the other side of the universe. He's like, we've done this 850 times. Are we going to keep doing it? There's a kind of a tension in the marriage there. And, and, you know, it does take a while to get going. The first episode is quite Mm -hmm. slow, isn't it? But when it starts to move, we we see that not only does this – this extraordinary thing that's in this very, very ordinary life start to exercise tensions on the two of them, but also it's maybe not the only portal in the world, and there are other people from other parts of the planet in very, very different lives are also having their lives distorted by this extraordinary thing in their midst. I found that pretty interesting. Sean, what did you think? 
I thought that the first um, episode is really slow and there are points where it seems to be a little bit sentimental. There's a lot of piano music underneath, which is trying to guide us through, aren't they a lovely couple? Aren't they old? Isn't it sad that they're nearly dead? And that's how I didn't like being guided by that. But episode two, all these other characters pop up. You realise that if you get really drunk, you really want to show your portal to the neighbour, as it were. And it's absolutely- sorry. <laughs> it's Friday night. Um, and <laughs> at that point, there was there were lots of different plot points come up, and there were lots of strands, and there are some sub stories there. If you see what I mean, and suddenly, ah, you see, oh, you can do this with it, you can do that with it. I know J.K. Simmons as it were from um, Whiplash, so I'm used yes. to him sort of uh, cracking the whip and being really quite evil. To see him act in this, you just, oh, you're really good. Oh, you can do something completely different. So watching the couple and watching him and Sissy navigate this relationship and change i love the fact that he's jaded i love the fact he's a he's a shrug emoji isn't he about being able to go to space anything really you know there is there is so much in that and what his character is doing to be so blasé about that it gets more and more interesting and i started to hoover it up and watch four and uh, we were sort of chatting off mic on this that yeah, you you saw symbolism in the port the two way portal may have a bit of resonance to uh, Trumpiness and mm. perhaps you know the fear of the immigrant coming through. Oh yes, through it's the from fear elsewhere. of the alien, isn't it? The mm. illegal alien. Um, and there's very much an idea of what is other, what is other in a relationship. You can know some. You've been married to someone for decades, but not really know them. And you know, because I like the idea that maybe Sissy is sitting there in space because she is identifying with something that is so alien. There's all all sorts of permutations that could crop up with this, which I thought just made it more exciting in a narrative way um, towards the end. And I definitely do think there is something about how we trust other people and how we trust people from a different, not necessarily race, but, you know, a, just a different world from ours, even if they are the neighbour next door or someone who works at the care home, for instance. Yeah, because one of the one of the sort of subplots is the younger couple who live near them mm. and next door, who J.K. Simmons just cannot stand, conceives an irrational and it gets dislike more complicated, of. Complicated um, their relationship mm. with the neighbours and what the neighbours are actually doing. And I thought that that was really good storytelling. Johnny Davis, you were less enthused, weren't you? <laughs> I, well, I've, I've also seen four, and I, I, I agree mm. with, 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 with everything you're, you're saying, Sean. But, but I sort of felt, felt in reverse. So I, the first one I really liked for the reasons that uh, we sort of know portal movies mm. almost as a, mm. as a sort of genre in themselves, and they can be sort of wacky, like being John Malkovich, or they can be weird, like at Twin Peaks, but it's red curtains, uh, or they can be sci-fi, or they can be hold a sort of hold a mirror up to reality, like 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 Black Mirror, and this didn't do any of those and i thought okay that's well that's that, that, that's cool this is going to be original and different and i loved all the old stuff and i love the sort of the, the, the cozy relationship they have and the fact there as it goes on maybe she's hiding something maybe he's hiding something mm-hmm. um what is the what is the portal they've, they've visited it's 856 times we're told according to to, to, to frank they never they are dead open there's a door isn't there they can go through yeah you, you're thinking she's going to die if she goes there oh, is that is that is that true i guess she says the thought which needs, leaves a note isn't, isn't that, that implies that well they certainly that, yeah. say that uh he, he released some mice out of the door, and they didn't last long. So yes, which I thought was you're right. Cruel against mice. You're <laughs> right. Okay, okay. Yeah. But then there's only, as you say, there's these other. It, it, in the second episode, it suddenly jumps mm. to a mm. apparently separate storyline in Argentina with a mother and daughter. And there's three or four, maybe more of these things that sort of jump in, and, and and that's fine. And you assume they're all going to link up, and the portal is somehow connecting them all. Um, it, after four, it's it's not really getting anywhere, and it just becomes right. less and less interesting to me. Um, I, I would say that you know, there's, there's nothing really to spoil because so far nothing's 
happened. It's all in the first <laughs> one. Um, but I like the, the setup of the old, having old people as, as old people, having people of a certain age as a, <laughs> as a protagonist in a sci-fi film. It, it, it's really cool. Yeah. I, I thought that's, that's the nicest thing about it. I think that's my favorite bit. About yeah, we're, we're not we're not that far off ourselves, Johnny. So let's, <laughs> exactly. let's, let's not have a go. Old Speak yourself, I, 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 I like. <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was a great concept. I agree that it is perhaps a little bit poignant and a little bit heavy uh, and a little bit sort of heavy going. At one point I was thinking I didn't know the Hallmark Channel was making science fiction these days, but it does <laughs> kind of generate an, an energy of its own. My fear is that it, we might be in for a lost where you know many, many questions are set up and then I can't quite wrap them up and bring them together at the end. But that said, I did find it. I mean, it's not at the, it's not at the same level as, as say, a severance where you really are absolutely yeah. wrapped in tension at all times. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty good. The severance giving... in that good way is really intellectual, isn't it? It's about yeah. an idea and a concept. And this <coughs> is about relationships between people. I think it's very different. Yeah, yeah. Relationships between people. So boring. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> so there's a qualified, a qualified yes. Yeah. yeah. All right, time for another favourite tune from one of our guests. Merkage Dave, what current tune have you got in your bag of vinyls? My current tune? I mean, it could have been, do you know what, anything off of this album, uh, the Fontaine's DC uh, album. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I love, I, they, they, I'm, they've got me back. They, they brought me back, man, because guitar right. music has kind of been a bit boring for me for a minute, but mm-hmm. they got me back in the room. Yes. And, um, I could have picked anything in it. I've picked one of the singles, um, the big single, Jackie Down the Line, mm-hmm. because, you know, I could have done, picked a cool, 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 gone for a cool pick. But yeah, I feel like, album track. Mm. yeah, yeah, just to be a bit yeah. more, yeah, like oh, I'm yeah. that guy, yeah. you know, but, <laughs> but, but, but I think songwriting wise and vibe wise, mm. that was the one where I just listened. I thought, man, I wish I wrote that. Not, not, not that I could, you know, I'm always going to write something different to that, but I, yeah. I just yeah. think the feel of it and the vibe of it just bowled me over, you know. Could you do the accent though? <laughs> <laughs> go on, give it a go. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I mean, don't. I mean, most most British pop singers, R and B singers, they sing in Black American accents, and no one even says anything. So maybe yeah. maybe I should do that. Maybe I should start singing in an Irish accent. I've never understood this since I was a kid. Why? Do, why do? You, why does pop music happen in American? Ask Paul. I Murray. never understood it. Yeah, it's Possibly the singing so. style. Yeah, yeah, the singing style is based on a on a on a pronunciation that is American. But yeah, Paul McCartney, he, he's to blame. Love him, love him, love him. I'm not hating. I'm not hating. As ever, we can't clear it, but we will be whacking it on the playlist that is in your show notes. And. On to more music. The patron saint of Liverpool songwriters, Michael Head, and his Red Elastic Band releases the first album in five years with Dear Scott. The title is from a postcard F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote to himself when he arrived at a hotel in LA. He was washed up but sober. Will we identify? <laughs> I think we will. And the pikelet of pop, Harry Styles goes large and goes home with Harry's House, his third album. It is not to be confused with the Joni Mitchell song of the same name, nor the Susie and the Banshees hit. Well, Harry Harry's here house, in the Harry house. house. Yeah, get it, yeah. yeah. Clearing, good, yeah. clearing Harry Styles, yeah, that was really good. Of course, it's a fool's errand, but we will be putting Daydreaming on the playlist. Meanwhile... Here's Michael Head and the Red Elastic Band with Broken Beauty. Broken Beauty and the stage you're in. 
Davis, I will start with you. Jangly, mm-hmm. jingly, jangly. How genned up were you on Mick Head before you heard this? Well, it, he he he, uh, he surfaced mostly uh, for me a long time ago with with when his band Shack uh, mm-hmm. with their sort of I guess the most popular album in 1999, which was called HMS Fable, uh, which was yes. more j- more jingly jangly, um, <laughs> and, and that was quite quite nice at the time. It had some more orchestration to it because there was probably a bit more budget around back then. Um, mm. and, and for me, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not my favorite record I've heard recently. It, it, it's fine. It's a, it's a jingly jangly record made by, by in a sort of indie pastiche. Uh, I'm obsessed with, with, with the band love type way. Um, <laughs> it's fine. I wasn't really hearing the tunes. I didn't really get the big concept. Uh, it's all very well talking about hotels and Scott Fitzgerald in your, in your press release. I, I wasn't feeling I, the ideas weren't coming through for me. Um, I, I thought it was all right, but I, I probably I'm going to pass on, on, on Mick Head. Right. Um, he is sort of the great lost musician. He never really made it big when everyone thought he was going to. Um, he deals with the minutiae, this is all observation, which probably he couldn't do if he was famous. Who, who does this appeal to, Johnny? That's a good question. I'd, I'd, I'd mm. really like. I'm not being. I'm not being. Uh, I'd, I'd be. I'm interested to know what where this record sits in 2022. Because it seems, you know, it was slightly anachronistic in 1999. Mm. It was a throwback then. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, do, do you know what I mean? I'm not. That sounds mean. I just. I, mean, I hope he has got a devoted fan base, and it's and it's 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 happy days for people who are his fans because obviously he's really well loved. Um, I think he does have he does have a pretty devoted fan base. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, there are, I there are people who live and mm. die by Meckhead's music. Mm. Yeah. Andrew, you seem to be from Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> Worth that out. I've, 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 somehow, I've, I've got this idea. <laughs> what do you think of this? You, you have to like. Uh, it. Well, I'm, I'm 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 from I'm from posh Liverpool. I'm from the outskirts. I'm a I'm a b- no, borderline woollyback. Um, I, I, I I do like it. I mean, I, I think um, he, obviously he sings in his own, his own accent, mm-hmm. but he also writes in his own accent. Mm-hmm. It's very kind of vividly about about his hometown and um, there are bus journeys uh, on this record which i recognize i'm around newsham park and this kind of thing mm. um and there is i think i mean you, you know it, it, he is almost the kind of platonic ideal of the liverpool musician uh you know writes about his community and the people around him you know very acutely observational spots little things and blows mm. them up into big episodes mm-hmm. th- little things that mean a lot um is kind of, uh, you know, sort of lives by his own standards, um, has never really gone for the mega, um, you know, the, 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 the mega let's go huge move, yeah. partly because of his own well-documented uh, personal, you know, flaws. Um, Shaq were, you know, no strangers to the world of drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of gives it a poignancy. The, the poignancy in his career and the poignancy mm. in the songs are 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 are, are of, a, of the same stripe. So, I mean, it's not absolutely square in the middle of my main my main area of excitement and interest. It's a bit light on drum machines, uh, <laughs> dub bass lines, and uh, acid house motifs. But for that, <laughs> for for all that, I think mm. it's beauti- it's a, a beautifully realised version of what it's trying to be. And there are certain string flourishes on this that are just absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. um, like i say i like the fact that he sings in his own accent because it sort of takes one foot out of pop music and into kind of you know reportage of where you're from mm-hmm. i mean it's novelistic in that sense isn't it i suppose if you're yeah it, it, oh, he's narrating the stories and the things I, around him in his i would language. go so far as to say it's novellaistic because they're little <laughs> snippets they're little they're, oh, you know wouldn't it's you wouldn't you I would, well i would because i'm a pop <laughs> yeah <yes>. dave <laughs> 
<laughs> what did you think of it? I mean, I, I'd never heard of this geezer before. To okay, be yeah. So, like, I, I'd come, I'd come with no expectations, mm-hmm. no context. Um, it went down well with the with the, with the wheat abix this morning. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it was cool, man. Just it's nice to listen to. I think that there's a couple of tunes at the end where they, I, I guess they get a bit more. Yeah, there's a bit more kind of movement and, and, and like emotional movement that I, I mm. liked. But um, yeah, it was cool. I think I think I need to go back and, you know, I feel like there's a lot lyrically and like conceptually that I missed because I was just just taking it in like it was just a, you know, just a nice to listen yeah. to. Yeah, you were doing record. a first listen thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I had no clue. Yeah. yeah, one of the songs is about two childhood friends who lose touch and one of them is then trans and they right. still have this amazing bond, although it's not a romantic bond. There's another song that is about sex workers who take, you know, the Pretty Fly song in Night of the Hunter with Robert Mitchum. Right. They take that, it's called Pretty Child and he moves that and puts it in. So there's a lot of storytelling in there, but I think you're right. You probably sort of miss it on first or second listening. It's, it's, it's quite. I think that's a challenge for me as a writer. Yeah. It's, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to tell that story, mm. but trying to make it land as well, you know. And I think you and here are in a similar area, actually, because mm. it is about observing the things that most people ignore that actually mean more than the things people pay attention to. And sort of, you know, it, it, instrumentally, there's a, there's a, there are some things in common, the, the sort of beauty of the simply played uh, acoustic guitar. Dave, if you can imagine yourself um, a middle-aged white guy in <laughs> Liverpool, then, you know. what he So what he needs... To, to do is yeah. really for me to add some beats and sex to his music. Uh, okay. <laughs> we, we, we don't we don't do that round our way. We don't do that. <laughs> that's that's London does that. <laughs> that London. Or maybe all alright. Yeah, that London. There are lovely lines in it and things that I really couldn't tell the difference between our whites and Lucas Aid. And obviously that means something really important, but I'm not still sure what it is. Um and there's a bit that says the tracks of my tears was on the radio. There are things that leapt out of me like that right. that I thought were really beautiful vignettes. Mm. But yeah, it, it it's submerged in that jangle so much that maybe it needs a bit more digging. Should we move on to Mr. Styles and Harry's house? Andrew, you're a big pop fan, are you not? What did you think of probably the pop release of the year? So I was surprised how much mm. I enjoyed this actually because I mean it'll be you'll be amazed to learn I've not been following following Harry Styles's career <laughs> all that closely. Um, he seems like a nice young lad, but you know it's pretty far away from my <laughs> wheelhouse. Mm. And I was listening to this as I strolled across the um, Highbury Fields in media elite North London <laughs> this morning, and it, I just felt great. It, it is it is it is beautiful, light, unpretentious. Um, you know grown-up pop music of a, of a very fine grain with a lot of good weird noises on it actually i think this, the, it has the feel of pop with the kind of um the textures of of not pop mm-hmm. um it, it also felt like it had a lot in common with you know those two slow to disco compilations oh, that yeah. we've done a couple of times on the podcast in the mm. past, where, where where kind of crate diggers have gone into that strange phase in the mid 70s where the adult orientated rockers discovered disco and discovered synthesis and discovered that they could take their their beautiful sheen and kind of mechanize it a little bit um and basically everybody starts wearing white suits and, av- and aviator sunglasses mm. it has that vibe and i think that that suits harry's personality very well because he's very much the young english lad uh going to make it big in that environment um 
It's, it has it has no big statements. It's got nothing grand to say. But is it not a more radical thing now to just try and do beautiful mood elevating pop music when absolutely everything else in the world is dedicated to depressing your mood? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can go with that. I like the thought that it starts with a track called "Music for a Sushi Restaurant," which is sure—it's surely a nod to Brian Eno. <laughs> music for airport, sushi restaurant. There we go, Johnny. What were your thoughts on the big bangers of Harry? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I think that to, to go with mm. the Andrew's comment about the, the weird sounds, there's really little, lovely little mm. uh, lyric little touches in it. There's a there's a line about the high speed internet in the in the single. Just these just drops in yes. sort of sort of references yeah. that really mm. I thought was really good writing actually. Um, and the sort of the template for the album is, is that kind of um, you mentioned two slow disco and then synth, and synth pop and then Prince kind of eighties mm. thing that's very much around at the moment. Uh, the single is another rewrite again of, of, of Blinding <laughs> Lights and the weekend's Blinding Lights, which was itself a kind of splicing of Take on Me and ma- a Maniac, yes. and has yes. been done by Coldplay's Higher Power and the Ed, that Ed Sheeran song over past. Did Rabiti. you not have a theory that this is the song that everyone can just rework every couple of years, which is an amazing theory? If it was just sitting there on a the shelf, you pull it out release it put it back again but it's such a good song that even though you go oh yeah i've heard this be i've heard this basically be covered now four times in the last year it's still great mm. you still mm. don't think oh, i'm bored of that thing and um <laughs> and also you know good luck to i, I watched uh, the video for uh the, the video what's the single called i forgot what the single's called now as it was as it was exactly the single for that is when he's in his, his sequin jumpsuit with his tassel you just mm. think wow you're you're a fine specimen of, of a man aren't you <laughs> it's not hard to see why it's not hard to see why he walks out of coachella's crowd uh, audience and people just go nuts and it, yeah, yeah, as, yeah. A, as, a, as a pop so there is there's not been a british ex-boy band member who's broken america and, he, and he's done it uh, 10 nights mm. at madison square mm. gardens yeah yeah because yeah. robbie williams didn't quite pull it off did he no Boy and he does Rose. wear it extremely well whereas robbie williams in a dress did look it didn't look so good quite frankly no. dave okay. harry's calling card seems to be devotion these songs are about this one love that he is not going to veer from. And it's very, I mean, it's good for the fan base because it's almost talking to them. I will love you forever. This is yeah. what we're going to do. It, it's very plain in that way, um, lyrically. What did you think? I mean, annoyingly, I press play mm-hmm. and I started taking it in. And then about four songs in, I realised it. Spotify had done me dirty and just put it on <laughs> random. Ah, and yeah. so... It shuffled you. Yeah, I've, I've only given it the one play mm-hmm. and... Um, I just felt like for me, it was just like a luxurious kind of like soulful. Rec- I mean, l- compared to the lot, the last one in my head, if I remember, was more like Bowie-esque. Mm. And, and this one is more like soulful. And um, it sounds like it cost a lot it's to make. It's his Young Americans. I'll say again? So oh, it's his, it's his Young Americans. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. that phase. It's that phase. Yeah, it's, a very, it's a very lush, mm. uh, beautiful record. Um, I need to take more time with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, personally for me, I'd love to hear him maybe talk about um, what's going on inside. I mean, I'm sure there is. There was like that that Matilda. Is it Matilda? Yes. yes. That's a, trust, that, yeah. that one hit me. But I, I'd love to hear, you know, like what man's going through. But I guess maybe that's not what he's there for. Do you know what I mean? Got to be said that Matilda is the most Merkage Dave tune on the record. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be said. It's quite Merkage, that one. Right, 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 right. <laughs> a little Merkage. I, I like the fact that I think his only print promotion seems to have been Australia's Better Homes and Garden magazine, <laughs> which is right. totally perfect. <laughs> you know, that's what pop stars should do. They should wear Gucci dresses and they just do homes and gardens and they just have a fantastic life that you want to copy. Um, I've listened to it today more so than in the morning. And in the 
morning I felt quite judgmental. No, 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 I like it more and more. I just think so gloriously, let's just fuck about and have a nice time, you know. Just thought, oh, why not? So, yes, I'm veering towards the um, the Andrew view, veering. There slightly. you go. Yeah, Your pleasure is radical yeah. in and of itself. Yeah, and he's not gone super camp yet. It's not Elton John. It's still, it's you know, it's heartfelt stuff. You know, it's not has no many, not too many layers of irony on it quite yet. I like the way he references yeah. himself as well. I like the, the t- Harry's house. What's a great title for an album? It's just, it's just, yeah. it's just a great, it's just a great thing, isn't it? The world's a better place because he's made that. Record. Yeah, it's good. Also, yeah. excellent children's television program. <laughs> Harry's house. <laughs> so we're we're gen- generally saying we we pretty much like it. We are saying, hurry up, Harry. Come Yay. on, come on. Finally, regular listeners know we always ask our guests to choose their favourite song of all time to add to our playlist. It is unfailingly difficult to do. That's why we make them do it. Merkich Dave, what is the greatest song of all time and why? <laughs> I mean, the one that I went for, because this spin, this did spin me, but like the, the one that I went for is uh, Stevie Wonder, he's Mr. Know-It-All. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously taken from the Inner Visions album. I mean, Stevie Wonder in the 70s was just like on a run, man. He was yeah, like yeah. prophecy, like that whole decade. I think it gets overlooked. I feel like because of um, I Just Called to Say I Love You, there's like a thing, there's like a stigma. with. But I, I feel like you can't let one song overshadow. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like the the Beatles did a lot of whack shit after like mm. do you know what I mean? But the, but it's just like you can't let that overshadow. But it's up to seventy three, seventy four, where he just has this amazing run, as you say, doesn't he? It's just there's yeah. no duff albums at all. They are they're so wide ranging. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and for me, I guess like Inner Visions definitely like kind of like thematically inspired um the city needs a hero. I, I wanted to make mm-hmm. a, a a record that kind of like um, dealt with the, with the issues of the times and, and put you there, mm. but also would last way beyond it. And I think he's Mr. Know-It-All is the perfect example of that, where it's like, you know, you've got this record he's talking about, um, people say he's talking about Nixon, but, you know, I was listening to this record during the pandemic and it was, I was thinking of Trump, I was thinking of Boris, and I, and I feel like you can just take, you can take mm. it and apply that song it's like a beautiful pop song that you can literally just enjoy as a beautiful pop song without even thinking about what you're saying. Or you can take mm. it and apply it to whatever um, guy thinks he's the, you know, the the, the top, he, what he thinks he's got the big bollocks what, that decade. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that's going on the playlist. Johnny Davis, what what's your take for the greatest song in all history of songs <laughs> the, the best song ever made ever written well it's obviously ever, uh, yeah. ever, uh, ever, ever. <laughs> so obviously under the influence of love by the love unlimited orchestra um mm-hmm. uh, partly because there's a lot of talk at the moment about the 90s because it's come around again because it's that long ago um and the thing that i think <laughs> that is is uh is rough up the 90s is just it was the time when everything got mixed up right so the thing the photo that sums up for me is there was a there was a photo when 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 tricky went out with Bjork for about a week oh, there's a photo yeah. of them walking out yeah. together and it just seems so bizarre not because they i mean partly because they look quite they're two incredibly look, looking people but also because they're from such different worlds and that kind of was the 90s right it was all mixed up for the first time before spotify and before playlists and so this song was played at a club the heavenly social the sunday social 
where it was it seemed kind of revolutionary to play hip hop next to the Beatles mm-hmm. next to this, and they would always play this, and I think they even put it out as a promotional sort of CD for it. Um, and at the time, I put it on a couple of playlists for people. And um, is it the greatest song of all time? Maybe. Uh, it's just a really great, <laughs> a great tune. And um, yeah, that's my choice. Well, uh, it will not be a surprise to the listeners to know that we can seldom clear the <laughs> enormous classics like these, but they'll both go onto our rolling playlists. Mm. Check the show notes. Listen to them right now. And with that, we're at the end of the podcast and it's closing time chatter. What will we be discussing as we retreat to the Hollywood Hills and make ourselves maybe a nice bowl of Weetabix like Dave? <laughs> Dave, what's your closing time chatter? Man, I mean, like, this is something that, like, I immediately laughed at and then, mm. you know, was brought to tears by is um, George Bush. Uh, I don't know where he's where he's speaking, but he's, he, he was... Um, being quite critical of Russia and, and he talks about an illegal invasion and he means to say Ukraine and he says, says Iraq by Ooh, accident, yeah, right? Yeah. And then he goes, oh yeah, that too. And then he goes, <laughs> sorry, I'm 75, man. And it's like hilarious. It's like, is this literally like, it feels like an episode of The Simpsons mm. from like, you know, <laughs> back then. And But it's like actually happened in real life. But then uh, you know when those laughs you know he gets he gets a laugh and I'm thinking man like yeah. like no one like so many people died in the Iraq war and you can just make that joke about it and it's like I don't know man I, I think there's something about you know I've been thinking a lot about you know during 2020 uh, like Black Lives Matter and stuff and there's so much debate but mm-hmm. I think really mm-hmm. what it comes down to I mean you know it's brown, brown Lives Matter or whatever but it's just like the idea that I don't know, man. I, I just think that, like, you know, I'm I'm all for, um, you know, uh, supporting, um, you know, like Ukraine and and mm. like, you know, like there's there's been an, an aggression against them, but I just think that, like, uh, we can't put that above our, the the plight of other countries, which I think we definitely are doing. And so I think there's there was two things there. It was just like, man, this is like the most memeable shit I've ever seen. But then also like, but that's what my brain does. You know, I'm mm-hmm. kind of doing it to you guys right now. Imagine if you were at a party and I was saying this to you, you'd be <laughs> like, oh, you're doing this bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd be like, bro, chill, chill. Yeah, we're going, no, no. Yeah, I just got to go to the loo, Dave. I'll, I'll just <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's why I've got to put it on record. <laughs> Bless you. Johnny, what is your closing time chatter? Well, well mine is much more shallow than that and stick, sticking with the ni- ni- 90s theme. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it kind of uh, it's about Liam and, and Noel Gallagher and I noticed they're both performing shows and uh, and it's, it sounds like I'm being mean spirited I don't imagine that that's not where I'm that's not what, what um, I'm interested in really so Liam's playing two nights at, at Nebworth 160,000 mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and Noel is playing uh, Margate Dream, Dreamland Margate and the mm. Ken, Ken, Kenwood House but he's on a bill or on a week you know on the, on the poster with, with, with James and, and Culture Club and I, I just think like who is is he happy with that? Who's booking his gigs? Noel should not be playing mm. a bill with with Culture Club. That's weird. Mm. Um, mm. And also, so Liam's performing. He's getting the big tickets. He's getting the sales. He's getting all these people through yeah. through, through the, do- the the doors and quotes of Nebworth. And yet, I guess Noel gets the money from the songs he's playing. So who who's the more fool? The fool or the fool who follows the fool? That's what I don't know. 
I think they're both getting exactly what they want. Liam is getting the roaring arenas of mental people in bucket hats screaming at him. <laughs> and Noel, who was always kind of gritting his teeth a little bit of that, gets to play at a quiet um, country house thing. Yes, he gets Hampton. to play all the stuff from High Flying Birds that maybe perhaps uh, the Bingley Bongley uh, Manchester <laughs> continuity um, mafia don't necessarily want. And But he also gets all the cash from the PRS. Yeah. I reckon, they, I think they've got it absolutely sorted myself. They're both happy. You think they both win? Then? As happy. Yeah, I think that about. I think it's it's a win win situation. <laughs> Our kid. Okay. <laughs> What's your closing time chatter, Andrew Harrison? Well, we're back to morons misspeaking <laughs> themselves. It's it's Nadine Dorries, oh, yeah. my favourite mm. Nadine Dorries. Your favourite Nadine. Uh, is- yeah, she's up against. Uh, she's she's up at the at the Culture Select Committee uh, uh, to talk about privatising Channel Four mm-hmm. and the, the consultation, the open consultation to everybody uh, to find out uh, who's in favour of this. She says to the uh, the committee chair that that the that um, the consultation found that ninety six percent of people supported the notion of privatising Channel Four, and the committee chairman had to say, actually, Mrs. Torres, ninety six percent of people were against it, were opposed to it. You've got a completely opposite uh. way around. And she didn't. She didn't reside on the spot or say, "Oh my God, I'm so mm-hmm. sorry." She just did that stupid face that she does. <laughs> I know that face. I've seen. That <laughs> I know face. that face. Yeah. I've seen. Mm. I, I've seen. It's strange. I've seen that face before. Um, yeah. And so it, it just, it's almost it just the Alan Partridge shrug, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. It's yes. like you know. Yeah. So my point stands. No, your point doesn't stand. You're a horrible you moron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. But it's just. It just seemed to be that. That, that was everything in a nutshell. Yeah. That, you I know, feel like, like you can sit there in a Commons committee say the absolute opposite of the truth and when you are exposed for it just go uh, like a kid you know uh. so that that's what's driving me up the wall this week dave what were you going to say to that i just think every time i see her on the television or on the internet i just want to know what she's smoking and where she's <laughs> get. <laughs> that's all i think it's another t-shirt get another t-shirt with that on it dave hey. on. <laughs> what is nadine dory smoking and yeah, where can i get smoking it? Quite nice. <laughs> yeah yeah we'll work it out afterwards <laughs> Sean, what's your closing time chatter? My closing time chatter, of course, is disco scallops, Andrew. <laughs> uh, is this a euphemism? <laughs> it certainly isn't. Um, uh, marine scientists in Devon um, were trying to catch crabs in a really eco-friendly way. And what they did is get a big pot and they put LED lights, thinking, hey, the crabs are just going to go wee into this pot and we can catch them and nothing else will get caught and everything will be fantastic. Crabs were just like, no. Are we stupid? LED lights? That's really, really crap with, with idea. The crabs, with the crabs giving it all that? With their little toys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were certainly doing that. However, the scallops, scallops apparently have 200 eyes, looked at the LED lights and went, whoa, hey! And there is film of this in the article that I was looking at of them gleefully jumping into this pot with LED lights. And there's also a fantastic picture of the two scientists on a boat holding a scallop looking like the happiest people you've ever seen. So disco scallops. I mean, the sad thing is that they have to die after they've been in the pot, but maybe they could just have like nice pots that are fun for the scallops and then they just leave them there and people don't they release them. them in the wild. <laughs> yeah. what, 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 uh, what dedicated raver wouldn't want to end their life smothered in garlic butter and pan seared? <laughs> And it is the best way to go, isn't it? To look at a light, think woohoo, <laughs> yeah. and have your last I, I, moment of ecstasy, and then there's worse. Die. <laughs> there is. There you go. I, I'm absolutely off my shell. Anyway, <laughs> that's that's the end of the podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us to Mergage Dave. Hey. Thank you for having me. It's been great fun. 
Please come again, yeah. another time, yeah. again and again. <laughs> yes. And also, thanks to Johnny Davis for joining us. Thanks so much. It was really fun. It was fun. Listeners, remember, you can get all the tunes on our rolling playlists on both Spotify and Tidal. Links are in the show notes. From me and Sean, from producers Alex Reese, Yelena Sofronevich, Elena Ganatra, and Jade Bailey, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. The Culture Bunker was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison and Sean Pattenden. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. And the producers were Jelena Sofronievich, Alex Reese, and me, Jay Bailey, with assistant production from Alina Ganatra. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Culture Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>